The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. This is Dr. Damien Dauphiné. And I am here today with Tony Rodriguez, who is going to be uh, heading up a wound care program in Argyle that has been developed uh, for the last several months and hopefully will be up and running uh, this summer. Um, but I wanted to talk to Tony about uh, wound care centers in general, why they're important, and her experience helping to run wound centers for for how long now, Tony? How long have you been Doing that? I've been doing this now, doctor, since 1996. There you go. Um, and so uh, I've been doing this a few years anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my background is nursing. And in 1996, when uh, wound care centers weren't even a, an idea of putting a comprehensive team together, we we had to work with multiple physicians, and we you know we had to send patients out to different areas of a hospital or specialist and. It was a great turning point when uh, people started realizing that wound care is a specialty. Right. That happened probably around 2000, 2005. We've seen the evolution of advanced technologies coming into our hospital settings available for our specialists and our specialty nurses, uh, our hyperbaric specialists. So it's been a lot of fun. I mean, we've taken care of a lot of people. Uh, Argyle will be wound care center number five that I've developed in my career. That's incredible. And so I've, I like to say that I've worked with a lot of wonderful healthcare providers that go in and take over the care of complex wounds uh, that can be so challenging. And, right. you know, long when I'm gone, these wound care centers will be established, they'll be running, and that's they'll a, be taking care of people. That's a great legacy. I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, diabetes isn't going anywhere. You know, the Texas Diabetes Council estimated we'd have 4 million diabetics by 2020 and then 8 million by 2040. And that's driving a lot of what we see in the wound centers, but it's not just diabetic foot ulcers. That's a huge percentage of what we see, but we also have venous leg ulcers, pressure ulcers, traumatic wounds that don't heal, people with cancer who have wounds from uh, radiation, osteoradionecrosis, and soft tissue radionecrosis. So it's no longer... I think appropriate to consider these chronic wounds 
something that you can manage as an outpatient very easily unless you're in a specialized wound center. Uh, I think wound centers are focused on that idea that if you have a wound that isn't closing by 50% within a four-week period, it's got very little chance, probably a 3% chance of closing by week 12. And that's a pretty important stat uh, that I know you and I both you know, have seen the data and it's been you know, 20 years of trying to screen that off the highest mountain, that if you're trying to treat these wounds, these complex wounds in your office, and you're not seeing progress, uh, you're, you're basically just spinning your wheels and you're putting the patient at risk. It's not treating to the standard of care. So um, I'm sure you would agree. Absolutely. You know, what I tell my patients is um, if you've got a heart problem, you go to a heart doctor. If you've got mm-hmm. a liver problem, you go to a liver doctor. And now doctors aren't carrying little black bags and taking care of everything that happens from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. Uh, now we have specialists for every organ just about. Right. And so what I tell people is, you know, we're here. Uh, it's a lot of education. I think there's still a lack of education in exactly what a wound care center can provide the patient provide the uh, health care provider, whether it's the primary care doctor or the home health nurse, uh, anybody that's coming in to help manage that patient. And I think that we're a perfect combination to the plan of care that these other specialists have already established in trying to get the ultimate goal, which is to heal these patients. And you know as well as I do, sometimes they need an infectious disease or sometimes they need an orthopedic surgeon or or podiatric surgeon. It it takes uh, a village. It does. It does, doctor. And (laughs) You know, I'm so glad when I get on uh, social media or I get on now Wound Care Symposium, you know, websites and so forth, I see that people are being educated. And for me, you know, we could only be in one place. And so now that the world is starting to understand at the local level, at the state level, at the federal level, it's really going to be saving a lot of patients and saving a lot of lives. Right. Dr. Hussein and I have talked about sort of harrowing stats surrounding limb loss in diabetic patients. And once they've unfortunately had a baloney amputation, that the survival rate is rather poor. You know, 60% of them may not be around in five years. And so, you know, we go to the ends of the earth to try to save as much of the limb as possible. And we have to rely on our vascular surgeons and we have to rely on our infectious disease docs and and our endocrinologists and the folks that are controlling the the diabetes care because yeah any one of those things done poorly is going to make it really hard for a patient to heal a chronic wound absolutely Uh, even dietitians and nutritionists you know i mean i think that's a that's probably uh one of the least emphasized but maybe one of the most important aspects um of of chronic wound healing so let's go through some of these slides um Okay, very good. So when we talk about wound care centers, we have the everyday bandages. We have, there's 10,000 dressings on the market. Right. And of course, everyone is the best, right? right. But what a wound care center offers the patient uh, that home health wouldn't have, or say a private doctor in, the, in his private practice, even sometimes a specialist, is we have skin grafts that we can apply. We have hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Mm-hmm. We provide IV antibiotic therapy. We have a skill set to put on negative pressure therapy, compression wraps, mm-hmm. total contact casting, uh, you know, even lymphedema management. All that sometimes is what a patient needs, or it's just maybe one or two of those items. But we have to be uh, set so that we can manage these patients. So and that's state-of-the-art stuff. Oh, I mean, absolutely. That's, that and this is going to be a state-of-the-art facility. Absolutely. And we partner with the American Board of Wound Management. We mm-hmm. partner with the National Board of Diving and Hyperbaric Medical Technology. So our diagnoses that we treat 
the modalities that we're using, the innovation that's coming into our hands. We use them as tools. And the specialist has to know, uh, with the doctors, have to know when and how we're going to start using these protocols. Because timing can be uh, the enemy in some of these patients. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, if they've had a wound for three or four months and they're not healing, the chances of healing that wound are, are a little less than they would if we would get them pretty quickly. And you probably know that better yeah. than I do. Yeah. Converting the wound from a chronic wound to an acute wound is real important. So yeah, I love that picture. Yeah. So human skin is the body's largest organ. You can't forget that. We do a lot of teaching. We outsource a lot of our information to local colleges, mm-hmm. uh, with nursing programs, physical therapy programs. But I like to talk to the new nurses or students that come through, and I often ask them what the largest organ of the body is. And mm-hmm. a lot of times they'll just look at me and they'll say the heart or the stomach, uh, but actually it's the skin. It's sure. the largest organ of the body. It's the organ that actually when you're Doing wound care, you can tell what the body's doing. Right. And uh, sometimes even smell what these wounds are doing. So I like that slide because it's something that we see every day. We have to know what's going on with that patient internally to be able to, to fix this largest organ. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think the nice thing is CMS, I think, understands why wound centers are important and uh, you know continues to reimburse for care there. But they've also placed uh, fiscal restrictions on our care. So we don't have the ability to turn these wounds into an annuity anymore. Not that we would, but I think on the outside, you know, you, you see this where the patient comes in and they say, well, yeah, my doctor debrided it once a week for, you know, 16 months. Wow. <laughs> As the wound care doctor, that gets to be a little bit of a dicey discussion because now I, I don't want to throw this referral doc under the bus but why did they wait so long? Sure. You know, it's, we yes. can't do that. So, I, yeah, CMS is putting restrictions on the number of uh, applications of skin substitutes that we can use, the time frame that we have to use them, which I think in the long run, especially with our Medicare intermediary, I think they were one of sure. the most aggressive. Novitas is one of the most aggressive yes, with those right. restrictions. Mm-hmm. And there were other intermediaries where it was like the wild, wild west. They could use as many skin sure. substitutes as they wanted. I think uh the Wisconsin one was like that for a while. I think that probably contributed to bad habits. At least in Texas, we knew, okay, you got, you know, 10 shots at this in 12 weeks. You better be efficient because this is your one shot to get this wound closed. And I love that you're speaking about that, doctor, because a lot of people don't think about their fiscal intermediary. They just think right. they can put dressings on or they can put skin grafts on or put them in a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, but we can't do that anymore. And as, as money squeezed tighter, we have to be more creative. And what I tell our staff when we start seeing more patients is we have to try to do what we can within three months. Right. Because the national benchmark tells us, and we national benchmark ourselves against 900-plus other wound care centers across the nation. Um, and so, you know, it, we have to be aggressive, and we have to start these treatments quickly. Early and often. Yeah, I agree. And and even to the extent of using a lot of these modalities at the same time in concert. So excisional debridement, using the negative pressure when it's appropriate, antibiotic therapy, you know, all those things, uh, hyperbaric oxygen, you don't have to do one and then wait for that to fail and do another. Sometimes you got to use three or four of these at the same time and it's going to end up getting your wound closed faster. I think you would probably agree that the real cost in treating these chronic wounds is not necessarily what we're using on them. It's the complications. It's sure. the trips to the ER, the admissions for six weeks of IV antibiotics, the surgeries required to debride the wound that wasn't treated well the first time. That's really the most expensive part of this. Absolutely. Yeah. And Absolutely. so anything we can do, and that's why 
you know, I have this discussion with not just the payers, but sometimes uh, hospital administrators, and you have to help them understand that the cost in treating chronic wounds is doing this poorly and letting the patient end up in the hospital and end up having to have three or four surgeries, maybe an amputation. That's so much more expensive. So if we can do anything to get that wound closed faster on the front end, despite the sometimes dollar signs that are associated with that, it still pales in comparison to all the money oh, spent absolutely. in the admissions. And oh, the readmissions at that point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they come out of the hospital. They get readmitted within two or three days. They get dinged. The, the hospitals get dinged. And right. we're in the corners with our hands open and saying, hey, throw yeah. the ball over here. <laughs> we'll you know? help you. We're, we'll help you. We'll help the patient. We'll be the quarterback for that if right. our doctors need to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get that patient and take care of them. And having physicians in these wound care centers is a huge advantage because if you guys see something that the patient might need to start, say, an antibiotic or a steroid or needed a breedment, you guys can do that immediately. And right. You don't have to send them to the ER right. or back to the hospital. And now with all that's going on with our world, with the pandemic, you know, patients aren't able to get into these ERs now. It's a high we, risk for them. Right. We want to keep them it, out of we the, want to keep them out. More important now to have a focused factory like a wound center that can handle these people as an outpatient and keep them out of the hospital. Right. Yeah. You know, because we're going to look at their vascular flow. We're going to know if something's changed. Right. We're going to monitor that blood sugar when they come in and their blood pressure. And we're going to contact that PCP. So we are actually a, a minor emergency physician specialty center. Right. Kind of a three in one. For chronic wounds. Absolutely. Uh, go back a second. You had some great stuff about that. So for skin substitutes, if we want to use a skin substitute, there are boxes we have to check, one being uh, the blood flow, so the ABI or the ankle brachioindex. Um, baseline wound measurements have to be documented. We need to document that the wound is not progressing, usually that 50% at four weeks. So is it not closing by 50% within a four-week period? That's a pretty standard box that you need to check. And then blood sugar control for those diabetic patients. So yeah, thankfully it's less than 12, but, you know, 12 is terrible. Sure. So that's beyond the point where we would consider them a candidate for elective surgery. You know, a lot of times when the patients come in as well, if we see that these treatments are not responding, then we take them back to right. the drawing board again. you, you got to start at ground zero again. Yeah, start, mm-hmm. start over. But again, having you guys, having the doctors, the specialists together to make that team approach to say, you know what, we probably need to go to a vascular surgeon before we go to a surgeon. Right. We need to check the lab levels to see how they're dealing with their albumin and pre-albumin. Right. Uh, so that's very key for us. So this is showing, you know, one of the potential skin substitutes that we would utilize. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's great. And then covering it with uh, a non-adherent dressing and then a vac. So that's a classic example of, a, you know, a heel wound that uh, is being aggressively treated with a skin substitute and negative pressure therapy. And you've even bridged... I love that. You've bridged the trackpad away from the wound bed in a weight-bearing wound. That's brilliant. I love that. Love to see that because I think there's a lot of bad vacuum going on in the universe. And that wouldn't qualify. That would be excellent vacuum. <laughs> and you haven't vacked intact skin. So that's another plus. Love to see that. So. And you'll see some of these slides might be a little outdated. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I am a creature of habit. No, and, you this know, is good stuff. Sets, but, uh, this is good stuff. So, yes, venous ulcers, I think, you know, working closely with our vascular guys on treating both arterial insufficiency and venous insufficiency. And these venous ulcers can be really, really difficult to treat. And we work closely with our vascular guys to treat the underlying venous disease, the perforators that may be feeding this. So uh, these can be full thickness ulcers, 
They can be very painful because it's not necessarily in a, a neuropathic patient who's lost sensation. When they end up in the wound center, they've typically failed the compression therapy. They've shown that the wound is not progressing and that it needs to be full thickness. But yeah, that's the majority of the ones. And most, I think you'd agree, most of the ones we end up seeing in the wound center, they've been there for six months oh, or a year, yes, sometimes sir. longer. Yes. And again, you, you have to dance that dance between throwing the referral doc under the bus and going, why in the heck did it take so long for you well, to get to in get here? Get them into our hands. Yeah. That's what we want to do is we want to make sure that our doctors know that we're a resource. We're not here to take their patient away. We're not here to say what they were doing is wrong. You know, there's so many factors. Could it be patient compliance? Could it sure. be resources available? We take all that into consideration. But once they come in, we do have tools. You know, transcutaneous oximetry measurement is another. It's a non-invasive measurement of tissue perfusion. Yep. Uh, we can also do ABIs, and it kind of depends on the physician and what their protocol is. Mm -hmm. I, I think ankle brachial indices, where you're, let's back up a little bit for people who don't know what that means. It's getting a blood pressure of the arm and a blood pressure of the ankle level, and there's a ratio there. And that can tell us in patients who don't have severe atherosclerosis, whether or not they're getting enough perfusion to the limb. You could also do toe pressures. Toe pressures are a little more accurate in diabetic patients. The atherosclerotic changes aren't as advanced in the digits, and so you can still get a decent reading of a toe, of your big toe. But in diabetic patients, if the ABIs are above normal and the, the hardening of the arteries is the reason for that, then we do really rely on transcutaneous oximetry, getting an oxygen reading of oxygen that is diffusing through the skin to determine if the blood flow is making it to that wound. So we can use those electrodes around the wound, study the oxygen tension around the wound, and know whether or not that wound has the capacity to heal spontaneously. Correct. And that's really only available in wound centers. So I, I, you don't see transcutaneous oximetry being used just about anywhere else. No, you don't. Because the interpretation of it also has to be very specific. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when there's certain angiosomes or areas of the right. foot. Or well, the vascular anatomy. Spot. Yeah. So and we use it for amputation level, sure. too. I mean, Absolutely. I think it's great for that. And when I, I don't have access to that at some of the other major hospitals. And so I'll be having to make a decision on the level of amputation that I think will heal. Mm -hmm. And I'm using, does it bleed at the level that I want? What does the tissue look like? And, you know, are we getting venous and arterial bleeding at that site? But oftentimes, it's just a guess. It is. And with TCOM, with transcutaneous oximetry, we're able to really add some data that's incredibly valuable and every time in the last 21 years of doing amputations, every time I've gone against the TCOMs, where I've decided to do a level where the TCOMs were iffy, sure. failed. Okay. And I end up having to go back. So, yeah. I mean, it's really helpful to determine what is a valid, viable level of an amputation, whether it's a toe or a midfoot, or are you going to have to go higher? Sure. Um, and, we're going to have to use hyperbaric therapy. Right. You know, that's another... To beef it up before you do the amputation. If you're fortunate enough to be able to, to delay the amputation, that's really important. Yeah, I think the tissue perfusion, if you've got a TCPO2 of greater than 45 millimeters of mercury, then you've got a really good chance of getting that wound closed. Uh, if it's less than 35, yeah... Yeah, and and you there need, might be some studies that even say 30 now, doctor. Yeah. You know? And for diabetic patients, sure. I think less sure. than 45, they're going to have problems. Sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Debridement. Ah, oh, this is a great... Debridement is is removing, you know, devitalized tissue from a wound, either with a scalpel or with other sharp techniques. And I think it can be done poorly. It can be done well. And it really depends on the uh, specialty of the physician doing it. Surgical specialties typically do this better. 
the non-surgical specialties, but I have plenty of non-surgical specialty wound care docs that do great debridement. They just spent time understanding how to do it and learning how to do it. And that's really important. You don't want to be picking at these wounds. You really want to be debriding them effectively, removing the the callus and removing the the devitalized tissue. So I think it's really uh, a skill that needs to be developed. And I think it's a little easier to expect that our surgical um, wound care docs are going to be a little better at this than the non-surgical. And that's the one thing that is an interesting aspect of wound care that I've struggled with over the years because it's great that we have so many different specialties involved in wound care. I think there's a little bit of consternation on my part when you have specialists that sort of retire into this business and they don't get board certified in wound management. I think I would highly recommend that if somebody's going to convert from being an OB-GYN to be in a wound care doc, Absolutely. that they spend some time getting board certified in wound management. I think it would behoove them to do that. And I think um, that, that, like you said earlier, this, the government is saying, okay, let me see your credentials. Yeah. Let me see your preceptorships. And let me see what you've done in wound care because right. if you're going to practice that specialty, then we want to make sure you've had some training. Because yeah, you're going to be ultimately held to the standard of someone who is board certified in wound management. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It's nice that we get the perspective of multiple specialties, which I think can be very helpful. But I think it can also be a detriment if they're not going to keep up with with wound care. Wound management has been a part of my practice and part of my training since 96, since the same year you were talking about. That was my first year in residency. So it's an integral part of what we do as podiatric surgeons. It's just part and parcel with what we do. So uh, it's an entire career of dealing with chronic wounds in the lower extremity. And and honestly, we find a better outcome as well. When you guys Mm -hmm. get in there or physicians get in there and they remove that necrotic tissue. It actually allows the dressing to work like it needs to. So right. now you have that primary dressing being very intimate with that wound bed. So now it can deliver the silver or it can mm. deliver the collagen or it can deliver whatever medication we're wanting to deliver in, to that wound bed at the cellular level. So you're taking out that biofilm. You're taking out the things, the MPs, the proteases, all the things that we know that actually hinder wound care right. and wounds from healing. You know, so the protocols are, are very specific. Uh, and, of course, we, we have the hyperbaric therapy. If a patient comes in, they might not need hyperbaric therapy. But if a patient comes in and we do a thorough assessment, then at that point it's another tool in our toolbox. Maybe only 10 to 15% of our patients get hyperbaric mm-hmm. therapy. With the healing hands that you guys have, typically they don't even need the hyperbaric therapy. It's when the bone's exposed or uh, there's an underlining uh, issue. And it is approved for diabetic foot ulcers that are meeting certain criteria. So we use it frequently with our diabetic patients who have really recalcitrant or, or non-healing, difficult-to-heal wounds. The HBO uh, hyperbaric criteria are pretty specific. So, yeah, no measurable signs of healing for at least 30 days. And it must be used in addition to standard wound care, which we would do regardless. And the documentation is pretty specific. The nice thing is, you know, there are specific indications for this, diabetes, diabetic foot ulcers, Wagner 3 or above diabetic foot ulcers, which is essentially a depth criteria. Wagner criteria is not perfect by any means, but it is what we have. But there are specific things we have to document. Uh, If you're going to use it for chronic um, bone infection or chronic osteomyelitis, uh, yeah, you need bone cultures and confirming diagnosis of osteomyelitis. It's great for crush injuries. Oh, absolutely. Compartment syndrome and crush injuries. I think that's one of the things that gets missed the most. I try to educate our ERs about that because they're the ones seeing these on the front end. But it's got to be something you do right away. 
Correct. You, you know, doing it six weeks later, you, you've missed the opportunity. Correct. So, Same thing with uh, radiation tissue injury, yeah. soft tissue and bony necrosis, mm-hmm. uh, necrotizing fasciitis, uh, gas gangrene. Right. So there's a list of approved diagnoses that we look at. And based on the uh, diagnoses is how that mechanism of action is also going to work. So we enter that cell. And the, and the way I explain it to my patients is if you have an antibiotic that needs to be used in your body or on your body to help fight an infection, would you want an antibiotic on your skin or would you want the antibiotic in your blood system mm-hmm. to hit the tissue? And that's kind of what hyperbaric therapy is. It's, it's actually using high pressure, 100% oxygen in a compressed environment. So it's forcing the oxygen when the patient breathes. It's letting that patient breathe the oxygen to the cells and it actually dissolves into the plasma. So you get 10 to 15 times more oxygen. And oxygen is required for neutrophil killing. So in order for your white blood cells to kill bacteria, they have to use oxygen. The other thing it does is you're throwing the oxygen gradient into a pretty steep gradient. In other words, what that means is you're super oxygenating all the tissue around this chronic wound where there's very low oxygen. And when you do that with hyperbaric oxygen treatments, you're essentially driving the wound healing process back into into purpose. And so it's now going to start growing blood vessels into that area. It's now going to start sending other um, other uh, inflammatory cells and immune cells into that area. By increasing the obviousness, I guess, of that chronic wound, you're moving it in the direction of wound healing. That's where hyperbaric oxygen can be very powerful. And for soft tissue radiation necrosis, the same thing. You've got an area of dead tissue that has been damaged by the radiation, treating some sort of cancer, and it's perfect for that. It's really a great, great use for that. And oftentimes it's used pre-surgical reconstruction. So for things like mastectomy, where they're trying to do a reconstruction, there's a protocol for that. Correct. Um, for bony osteoradionecrosis and dental procedures where people have had their mandible irradiated. Um, smokers, people who've had um, mandibular cancer from doing... Uh, tobacco dipping tobacco for 30 years exactly yeah. and you know in texas we say that often unfortunately and, still uh, you yeah. know what, what we tell our patients and i've actually had a, a patient refuse treatment several times because they're they don't believe that it's going to work as well and um, what we have to educate them on is to let them understand that hyperbaric oxygen therapy is the only treatment that actually can prevent further breakdown of this cell being destroyed by the radiation because you know sometimes that uh, cell gets damaged with the radiation and, oh, absolutely. you know it continues to break down and it will break down for years mm-hmm. and uh, most recently i had a patient that had a, a squamous cell carcinoma removed on on her leg and she'd had it for six months and she was angry and she was frustrated and she didn't want to do hyperbaric at first she said no you know this i'm just gonna have to live with this i've already accepted it we put her in the chamber and within 30 treatments, she started getting microangiogenesis. She healed up within probably about 45 days. And That's she was in tears. Yeah. Same thing with radiation proctitis, radiation mm-hmm. cystitis. Cystitis, oh yeah. Yes, and People have had their, their bladder irradiated for uh, bladder cancer. Yeah, it's a very painful problem. Cystitis is very painful, and this can help with pain, and it can help the tissue heal. Yeah, I think, I think we use it in the lower extremity. We're using it for... You know, diabetic foot ulcers, crush injuries, chronic refractory, uh, osteomyelitis, you know, those are probably the most common. We do see, you know, necrotizing fasciitis from time to time in our diabetic patients, and we can use it for that as well. But it's not something people should be scared of either. You know, you're in a glass container uh, that you can see through. You can see your tenders that are taking care of you. You, you know, can essentially, move from side to side. You can yeah. watch television. 
You can you can essentially sleep for a couple of hours with an uninterrupted nap. That's I mean, correct. That's, <laughs> that's not the worst correct. thing in the world. <laughs> yep. And I think that once the patient realizes that they're healing, they're helping their body heal. Mm-hmm. And when they start seeing that actual result happening, then it changes the dynamic. It changes their perception. Sure. And they realize that, you know, we are here to help them get better. That's great. That's some good stuff. But a lot of this is, again, it's just, it's more specific to education, you know, things that we need to, um, or assessments that we need to provide. Uh, some of this is over. Oh, this um, is a great wound here. This lady here had developed a necrotizing fasciitis, and they went in and removed all of that necrotic tissue. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's we pretty much down to the deep fascia, down almost down to bone. We started hyperbaric therapy on her to prepare her because we had already started the, the therapy uh, with the neck fascia. And so we prepared that wound bed. They went in, removed what they could, and we did a couple of treatments to make sure there was not anything left behind as far as uh, infection uh, so that we could graft the patient. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, one of the indications we would treat. Uh, this here is a pyoderma gangrenosa. Oh, that's a tough These are one. different types of wounds. Now, the patient wouldn't necessarily go into a hyperbaric chamber, but it, it can show you how these wounds are, have to be treated differently. You know, that's not a venous stasis ulcer. That's uh, usually that's, steroids. Yes, steroids yes. and then uh, apligraph or uh, some of the skin substitutes have been helpful for pyoderma gangrenosa. That's right. Yeah, those are really difficult wounds. This gentleman got bit by a snake. He was oh. a snake handler. So he had basically necrosis of the soft tissues. He did. Oh. And uh, we didn't get him in time. Unfortunately, he ended up having to amputate the, uh, the yes. finger. Yes, but he had been treating it with the care of a primary care doctor. And I don't know if it was finances that he didn't go to a hand specialist. But uh, anyway, when we got him, we, we just knew that, you know, and we're very honest. We'll tell him, look, you know, we can help you, or no, we're not going to be able to help you. Yeah. So. This is radiation tissue injury, um, and so you can see here how that wound hissed, and she needed hyperbaric therapy. As she would come in for treatments, her wound would actually get, you know, you could see the, the uh, radiation creating more necrosis, pain, and odor. This is an arterial wound. Mm. So we talked yeah. about different types of wounds, and this is a, a wound that has lack of blood supply. So there's lack of oxygen, and then there's lack of blood supply. And uh, we have to know the difference in, in what we're treating and how we're treating that because if that patient comes in and it's a lack of blood supply, we're not going to want to put a skin graft on. We're not going to want it to breed. No, uh, got to fix go that first. Yeah, but you got to fix the plumbing. This here is a Kennedy ulcer. Uh, a lot of people would consider that a pressure ulcer, mm-hmm. and that might be how it started, but that's an end-of-life yeah. uh, wound. And so patients, a lot of times their family will get upset because the uh, Mom would have an area on her body in ICU, and the next couple of days it would just get out of control and just get huge as far as size. Right. And so education is very specific to that patient and to their family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's end of life. That means their organs are shutting down. Right. So naturally the body's going to want to send all the nutrition, anything that's viable to the main organs. And so remember we talked about the skin being the largest organ of the body. Right. So that's how we, we have to get a, a thorough assessment. These are usually in hospice patients. Right. Yeah. Yes, and then just some other documentation specifics when we see those types of wounds. And this was really meant to help educate some of the nurses. Right. So I think the um, the area that we're contemplating, you know, plugging this wound care center into the Argyle area is growing so fast. 
And with the growth of the population in that area, at one point in the last couple of years, there were 7,000 new homes going into the Argyle city limits. And uh, there's Ropes and Ranch, which is um, 55 and over okay. uh, community. Uh, Denton's just growing like crazy. The whole corridor up I-35W is growing like crazy. Okay. It couldn't be placed in a better spot. And uh, we have such a good relationship with uh, the WISE health system from a physician standpoint. I mean, I think they treat us well. They understand the opportunities to, to really uh, help people, help patients, and understand the, the synergies between a wound center and the local hospital and the imaging center. Uh, we have the urgent care there. Um, we have family practice there. So we've got a, a nice medical destination happening right there. That's wonderful. But if a patient comes in through the ER that has a burn, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or they have been bit by a brown recluse spider, or, you know, there's other indications, not just chronic ones, but that's wonderful to know that we will be close to people so they don't have to drive so far right. anymore. You know, uh, some of our patients, they wouldn't be able to drive. 25, 30 miles one way. You know? And I think the synergy between all of these different physicians in the area and uh, the patient population growing, uh, keeping as much of that care right at home really is important. Yes. I know the Robeson Ranch people feel that the Wise uh, Argyle Hospital is kind of like their hometown hospital, yeah. you know, and they, and they should because that, that we built it there for a specific reason that, to be able to help that population. Uh, there's know harvest which is another huge housing development out there argyle's got two more i think that are being developed and, and built out right now so it's just growing like gangbusters okay. and i think this is the right time to install a wound center our population is is growing older quickly the over 65 population just keeps growing um, by you know almost exponential rate and uh right now you know, they're the ones that are at risk for the chronic ulcers. They're the ones at risk for venous leg ulcers for developing type 2 diabetes. We're almost already behind the eight ball when it comes to the number of people who are competent and trained at treating these chronic wounds, especially in our diabetic population. If we're not careful, we're going to be offloading a lot of that care to mid-level providers, nurse practitioners who may be not that interested in this, may not have the, the expertise to be able to treat these wounds. So we've got to Make sure that we have the sufficient throughput, the sufficient number of wound care centers in Texas. Let's just talk about Texas. Uh, the diabetes rate, if it keeps going like it is, we're, we're going to have a real hard time treating all the complications that are going to come down the pike from oh, all of those absolutely. patients. So with COVID hitting right. and uh, COVID toe, pressure injuries from patients right. not being able to move because they're so weak and tired. Uh, That's really important. Factors. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, yeah. and I think the unintended consequence of shelter at home, you know, you have diabetic sure. patients who aren't coming in for routine care. So they're getting wounds that get advanced very quickly because they would have typically come in when the wound was far less of a problem. And, and they're so concerned about COVID that they're not coming in, they're waiting and then it's getting infected. Or now we've got bone exposure and we're doing an amputation. Or they've lost their job or yeah, they've lost right. a family member and they're having to live with somebody else now. Right. I mean, let's, let's just... The, the dynamics have really, really converted into a really scary situation for a lot of folks. So I think having yeah, having a wound care center that patients can, can go to, uh, both with physician referrals and they can refer themselves. Correct. So I, I think it's going to be great. Well, Tony, thank you so much for... Uh, spending some time with me and talking about uh, wound care in general. And, you know, I really enjoy all of your expertise and I think we're going to make a good team in, in building this wound center and really 
really make it an absolutely state-of-the-art facility that's going to be able to help patients in North Texas for, for decades to come. Yes, we're community servants, and so um, we need to help this new growing population, and, and I'll know we'll do that. And so that's exciting, and it's it's something that, you know, that's what we go to school for, that's yep. what we strive to do. So that's wonderful to hear. Well, thanks again, and uh, thank you for listening. This is The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.